So Easter is the day every year that we tell the story of Jesus coming back to life. And we celebrate the new life that's available to us in the risen Lord Jesus. And it's a familiar story, you know, like most of us have heard it many times. Some of you have heard it every single Easter Sunday of your life. It's pretty familiar. But today, I just want to invite you back into the story, back into the narrative, to hear it again. Because I think if we will engage our hearts and mind, the Holy Spirit will get in there and make it come alive to us in new ways. Because I'm pretty sure it's like the Holy Spirit's favorite story in the Bible. So it's a good story. Today, we are going to enter into the story in Luke's gospel in the 23rd chapter. We'll look at some of the verses, but I'm just going to kind of try to tell the story to you. And this morning we'll meet several characters, and they're all close followers of Jesus, people that knew him personally and loved him. And so for them, his death was a loss of their hope for like the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and it was also the loss of a friend. It was painful. And all of them are asking in one way or the other, just like we do when we lose someone we love, How could this happen? How could he die? Why did he die? We really thought he was the one, meaning the one to save us, to save the world. And and this question they ask is important. Why did Jesus have to die? And as we'll see, the answer to that question is another story. So today I have to tell you two stories. One story is about Jesus rising from the dead, and the other story is about why he died and why he came back to life. So get ready for a double header. Okay, so first of all, we have women standing at the cross, and these are Jesus' disciples. They've been following him and traveling with him from Galilee. They're his friends They've ministered to him and provided for him and his disciples' needs. And now they've just watched their friend die. And they see his lifeless body on the cross. And then they see a man that they don't know at all. His name is Joseph. He's from a town called Arimathea. And he, they don't know him. He's not really a follower of Jesus, but he's wealthy enough that he can provide a tomb for Jesus. And he respected Jesus, so he wanted to give him that honor. So they watch him take Jesus' body down from the cross and remove the nails and place Jesus' body on a cart and wheel him away to a tomb that was nearby and watched him roll away the stone. It was not that hard because there were deep grooves cut in the rock by it, so you just have to give a little oomph. They see him, they follow him, and they watch him place Jesus' body on a table inside the tomb and wrap his body in linen cloths, and then, and then he has to get out of there because they're Jewish, and Passover, the Jewish Passover is about to begin, and it's Sabbath, and on Sabbath, you can't do work like that, and neither can they, so kind of rush through that part, and they all go home, and then it's Sabbath, which means that they can't really do anything, and I can think about how hard that would be because when you lose someone you love, there's that terrible and good duty of preparing for the funeral and making arrangements, and it's something you never wanted to do, but it's also something to do that feels like it matters in an otherwise time when you would just lose your mind with grief, and so they're just sitting there, 
They have to wait a whole day. But I also think there was probably some comfort. It was the Sabbath. They had prayers to pray. They had ways of interacting with God on that day. It was something comfortable and familiar when their whole lives had just changed. Every hope that they'd been building for the last three years while they saw Jesus do miracles and, and preach and about the kingdom of God, and it was all gone. Their lives had changed in a moment. And in sort of a very low-key way, Justin, my husband, and I, we've been experiencing that this weekend. We're in the process of moving. A pastor is moving on Easter weekend. It's a really, really good life decision that we made. Uh, but it's happening. And so last night, you know, we slept on a mattress on our floor, and the whole house was empty. And I wake up this morning to work a little bit more, and I'm sitting in bed on the laptop, and I go out to make coffee because everything in our house is gone. It's completely bare, except that we left our coffee maker on the counter because it just had to be there, sweet nectar of life for me. And so I'm, I stare at the corner, and there's the coffee, and I'm like, this looks like it always has. It's my one comfortable, familiar thing in this otherwise completely different world I'm living in for a couple days. And, and they're, they're kind of experiencing that on the Sabbath. And finally, it's over. They go to bed. And then Sunday morning, it's finally time. And so these same women that had been at the cross, they, they get up early and they meet up at the same spot in town. And they start walking towards the tomb. And the grass is still wet can see their breath. They're picking up their dresses to try to keep their hems from getting soaked, but their feet are totally soaked. And as they get closer to the tomb, they can see, even though it's really dark, that something's not quite right. And they see, oh, the stone is, it's not in its place. It's, it's open. Why is it open? We saw it get closed yesterday. And they go a little faster, you know, and then they're there and they peer inside and they take, you know, the step down what's going on? And they don't see Jesus' body. What? What is going on? Where's Jesus? Where's his body? They had brought these spices with them. It says on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And, and this was part of uh, the sacred Jewish burial process that hadn't happened the night before because the rush of the Sabbath. And they came to anoint Jesus' body with these spices that were highly fragrant and would help deter the smell of decomposition. And, and now they don't get to do this one thing. They've been helpless the whole time, and they don't get to, they don't get to anoint Jesus and, and give him this honor. And suddenly, in the darkness of the tomb where they can barely see anything, a light shines brighter than the brightest noonday sun, and they see two angels in front of them, and their skin is glowing. And they say to them, the angels say, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. And they're like, what? What is he saying? And then the angels say, don't you remember? He told you this. When you were with him in Galilee, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem, and I will be given into the hands of people who hate me, and they will hand me over to the Romans, and they will crucify me and kill me. But on the third day, I will rise from the dead. And then they're like, I, I do remember that. He said it more than once, but we couldn't understand what it meant. Could it be? 
could it really be? Could he be alive? And then the angels disappear, and they're kind of disoriented because it was so bright. And, and they're like, we got to go now. And they put the spices down, and they hike up their dresses, and they run as fast as they can back to town and back to the place where the 11 disciples are all spread out on the floor spending the night at someone's house. And they yell as they enter the house, wake up, wake up. Jesus is alive. And they're like, what? what? Uh, what are you saying? They're like, an angel, we went to the tomb and an angel came and, and they said, Jesus is alive. Ah! And then the disciples are said, but these words seem to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. Pretty typical men not believing what women say. <laughs> but, but they, they don't believe them. And so the women are like, it, it really, it's real. It's real. It really happened. And a couple of them run out to the tomb and they're like, oh, the, yeah, the body is not there. What's going on? And so then later that day, they, uh, there's a couple of them, a couple of the disciples that were part of that group that heard the report that Jesus was alive. And they decide to walk to a town called Emmaus about seven miles away. Maybe they were just going home. Maybe that's where they lived. And, and so they're on the journey home. And their journey to Emmaus is symbolic of the journey that they're experiencing as they're walking. They're processing. They're talking about what's just happened the whole time, trying to make sense of it, trying to reconcile what they thought to be true of Jesus as the Messiah with the fact that he is now dead. And they're just trying to make sense of it. What just happened? And suddenly... While they were walking and talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing them. Okay, this is fun. When Jesus rose from the dead, he had some superpowers that he didn't have before he died. And I think like this one was like some kind of ability to cause face blindness. <laughs> and so they, it's Jesus. He's in his own body, but they don't recognize him. So that had to be something going on. And so Jesus is so funny right here. He says, um, can I walk with you? And they say, sure. And he says, so what are you talking about as you're walking along? And they're like, are you kidding me? You must be the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's been going on the last few days. And he's so coy. He says, what things? And, and so they begin to say, like, there was a prophet named Jesus of Nazareth, and he was mighty in word and deed before all the people in God. He did amazing miracles. He healed people's bodies, and he spoke with the authority of God. And, and then, you know, the religious leaders, they got jealous of him, and so they made a stink about him to the Romans, and they... Well, I'm sorry to say they crucified him, which is so awful and so embarrassing and horrible. And, and the worst part is we really, really thought that he was the Messiah. We thought he was the one to save Israel. And now all our hopes are gone. And, and then this morning, something even weirder happened. It's been three days since he died. And some women in our group, they came to the house this morning and woke us up. And they said they had been to the tomb and that they saw a vision of angels. And the angels told them that Jesus is alive. But how could that be? Because we know he's dead. And so what is happening? And then Jesus says to them, Oh, you sweethearts. <laughs> oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? 
And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Okay, so that's where we're going to pause. And this is the transition to story number two. Because Jesus told these men who knew the story of the Bible. They were good Jewish followers of Yahweh, and so they knew the Bible. And Jesus reinterprets the whole story of the Bible in light of his own death and resurrection. And so we need to talk about that story. So the story is like the big story, the story that the whole Bible tells. It's the story of like what we're doing here, why we exist, why our world is so messed up, and how God has been working throughout all human history to fix it. And what Jesus is explaining to them is that his death and his coming back to life is the point or the answer to that story. And, and so we need to tell the story the same way that Jesus did, by telling the story of Moses and the prophets. So this story begins with God creating the world. And, and he created planet earth and put everything on it, including us humans. And the world got off track from God's original plan almost immediately. And so God chose one family, the people of Israel, to show the world the kind of goodness and blessing that comes into our lives when we trust God and live life God's way. But then at some point, Israel got into a bad situation. They became slaves in Egypt. And so to rescue them, God sent Moses. And Moses was the first and greatest prophet of Israel. He was the one God used to liberate Israel from slavery in Egypt. So you might have heard that story. He had to face Pharaoh, who's the king of Egypt, and tell him, let my people go. And, and in this narrative, Pharaoh is like the archetype of evil. He forces the Israeli women to drown their newborn babies, and he's a brutal, merciless slave driver. In fact, in the story of the Bible, what we'll see is that Pharaoh comes to represent the twin powers in this world that oppose God, which are evil and death, and that becomes really important in the story. Pharaoh perpetrated evil toward the people of Israel because his intent was to destroy them, literally working them to death as slaves. And then through Moses, they escape. They escape Israel, and then God used Moses to part the waters of the Red Sea, and they walked through the seabed on dry ground. And then the whole army of Egypt was defeated when they tried to re-enslave Israel. And then when they were out of harm's way, they were free. They were free. God gave them new life, a complete do-over. And then God gave them a special name to call God, which is Yahweh. And God told them that Yahweh had chosen them to be God's special people, the chosen ones. And Yahweh made a vow to take care of them and protect them by giving them instructions and ways of worshiping God that would bless their lives. And so in return, the Israeli people vowed to love God back and to live their lives according According to Yahweh's instructions. But then they couldn't do it. 
Not very well, at least. <laughs> they were free. They finally had agency over their lives, and they didn't want anyone telling them what to do, which I can relate to. And as time went on, they proved to be just as capable of destroying their relationships with each other and being as violent and heartless toward other people and other nations around them as the Egyptians had been to them. And so as the story progresses, we see that Israel was free, but they still needed rescue from their own hearts. Okay, now I'm going to go inception on you because this is a story within a story within a story. Okay, so the story of Israel escaping slavery in Egypt becomes a representation of the whole story at play in human history. So Pharaoh represents the twin forces of evil and death. And you can kind of think of that like a two-headed monster. Evil and death are really one horrific power that opposes God acting differently in the world. And Israel represents the way that humans really cannot get away from the pull of evil and death. And Moses represents the way that we need to be rescued from evil and death. And so evil and death, then for the rest of the Bible story and for our own lives, become our greatest enemies. Death is our enemy because it robs us of people we love. And we live our lives knowing that at some point the reaper is coming for us. And we don't get to pick when. Death is our enemy because we weren't created to die. And in our souls, we know it's not supposed to be this way. And so death feels incredibly wrong. And evil is the other force in the world, and it's all around us. We have evil in the ultimate sense, like what's happening to the Ukrainian people right now at the hands of Putin. But the story tells us that we've all been infected by this same power. Most of what keeps us up at night gives us anxiety disorders, makes us need to see a therapist, is the evil that has played a part in our lives. When we've all been traumatized by evil or wrong things that other people have done to us, and, and as hard as we try to be good humans, we've all said and done stuff that we're ashamed of. And it's not that we're evil people. We're not. We were made in God's image. He said that we were good. But we've been infected by this same evil power, and we can't get away from it. Because like the people of Israel, freshly escaped from Israel, God has just saved their lives. And God's saying like, hey, I love you, and I want your life to go well from here. So just live according to these principles and love and worship me, and you'll be blessed. And, and just like they did, we're like, uh, nah, no thanks. <laughs> uh, you know, I think I'm just going to do it my way. Nobody gets to tell me what to do. And when we do that, we think we're being so clever and independent, but often it's a trick. We're playing right into the hand of evil. It's exactly what evil wants us to do, and we just keep falling for it. Not in like we keep accidentally murdering people or kidnapping children, <laughs> but we, we say hurtful things that we can't unsay. We make choices that hurt our career opportunities and damage our finances and our bodies, and we cause damage in our relationship, and we hurt our relationship with ourselves until we don't know who we are anymore. Isn't that right? And what makes it harder is that evil happens to us, 
Some of us have done everything right, followed all the rules, checked all the boxes, and we still end up having awful things happen to us, like a house fire or death of a loved one or a divorce or financial ruin, things we didn't have control over. And the story of Israel escaping Egypt becomes a theme in Scripture to represent the way that humans are in captivity. We are in slavery to the forces of evil and death. It's not just individuals that need rescue because evil hasn't just infected you and me. It's infected the fabric of our whole world. We need a rescuer, someone who can set us free. And we need this rescuer because humans weren't designed to fight off these forces. We cannot escape death. And we can't escape the effects of what other people have done to us. And we can't escape our tendency to make poor choices or the consequences that come as a result. Evil and death beat us down and cause suffering in our lives. And we need to be rescued. But Moses wasn't the only prophet of Israel. Over hundreds of years, God sent prophets to Israel to tell of a coming one, the Messiah, a rescuer, and he would represent the people of Israel and all humanity, and he would face off our twin enemies, evil and death, and would defeat them. And this coming one would be a human because he had to be us in order to truly represent us. And he would also have to be God so that he would have the power to do what no human had ever been able to do. And so after a long time, God sent this coming one and his name was Jesus. And Jesus was a human, fully human, and Jesus was God. And Jesus went around healing people's bodies, and it showed that he had the power of God in him to reverse the effects of death in humans. And then people in Israel who had political power, they got jealous of his miraculous power and his authoritative preaching. They couldn't stand not being able to control him. They didn't believe he was the coming one. And because he was a human, he had a body that could be killed. And so they killed him. And in doing that, they were playing right into the hands of evil and death. Like exactly. Evil and death always choose the route of violence against their enemies. And on the day Jesus was murdered, evil and death thought that they won. Because if they killed God, then they won the universe forever. No more fight. But God's plan was and it was a secret plan that God had had since the very beginning. Jesus' secret weapon is that it's not violence that ultimately wins the day. It's pure love that sacrifices itself to save others that wins. God let evil and death think that they won. And then like so many good action movies where, you know, like, the monster swallows up the hero whole and you think it's all over. And then Jesus came stabbing his way through the belly of the beast, <laughs> the two-headed monster, and gave it a fatal wound, won the fight because he willingly sacrificed himself to the beast to rescue us. And when Jesus came back to life after being dead for three days, he proved that he was more powerful than the evil that killed him. 
And he proved that he was more powerful than death. And because Jesus died and came back to life, it created a new path through evil and death into new life. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, he gives us a new life. What does this new life mean in this sense? It means that when we put our faith in Jesus and believe in him, he starts to recreate us. He begins a work in our heart to change us from the inside out, to give us hope that we've never had before, hope that there's a God that cares about us and loves us. It gives us peace that we're not alone in this world, that we don't have to fix it all ourselves. We have someone who's working for us to make things right in our life. And Jesus begins to give us real faith, faith to trust God and follow God's ways and believe that it is what's best for our lives. And of course, evil is still present in the world, even for people who follow Jesus. But what Jesus' followers know is that because we have the power of Jesus in us, we can say no to the influence of evil, and it has to submit to the authority of Jesus. We can overcome the demons that taunt us and try to destroy us. We can overcome shame or addiction or any other bad habit that taunts us and tries to destroy us. Because when Jesus went toe-to-toe with evil, he won the match. And now he's fighting for us, protecting us, healing us when we take blows. And anytime we're suffering, we have a rescuer who went through every kind of suffering that a human can have. And he will comfort us because he understands. And of course, we'll face many disappointments and unplanned events We're always a little bit like the disciples on the road to Emmaus saying, like, what is happening in my life? How could this happen? I don't get it, God. And then we trust Jesus, and he shows us how he's constantly making us new. And, of course, death is still present in the world, and all of us will die. But Jesus told us that because he went through death and came out the other side alive, if we put our trust in him, he will raise us from the dead too. Not immediately, but the story of the Bible ends by telling us that one day Jesus will come back to earth. And when he does, he will fix everything Evil and death will be destroyed forever in the final sense. And those of us who have trusted in Jesus will come back to life as in our bodies will be recreated. And we will live forever in this world with Jesus in a perfect world. And we know it's true because when Jesus came back to life, he was in his own body, just like a way better version of his body that would never die. And that's what we'll get. And this is the story of God's plan for the world. This is what Jesus was explaining to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. This is why he had to die. And this is why he came back to life. This is why we celebrate Easter and scream that he is risen. It's why we celebrate new life. And so today, as we begin to wrap up, I'm inviting you to peer into the empty tomb and the claim that Jesus rose from the dead. And think about your response. Mara, would you come up, please?